is from Daniel 4, 19 through 37. And I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will." As it was commanded to leave the stump of the tree, the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. By the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation 
All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, I want to also thank you guys like Terrence did this morning for the meals for um, Kelly and me and boys. And she is recovering well after having surgery um, at home. And thank you so much um, for your generosity, for your prayers, for your cards, for your how you doing. You know, it helps when I go home and I'm like, Kelly, they asked about you. Really? They miss me? Yeah, some people do. Um, that's just kidding. That's good. That's good. That, that is the best thing um, for her. So if you want to shoot her a text or email, that'd be great. Um, but thank you so much. So we continue in our sermon series um, through the book of Daniel. I want to remind you that um, this is a story, Daniel about how God used four people taken into exile, stolen away from a, I'm stolen away by a conquering country, Babylon, to work in the emperor, King Nebuchadnezzar's royal administration. So at the time of their exile, they were young men and, and put through the Babylonian Academy of Mystical, Literary, and Managerial Arts, if you want to call it that. Well, the Bible tells us that these four young Hebrew men, one of them, of course, being Daniel, performed at the top of their class, which would have meant that their ability, that their ability to interpret dreams, especially those of King Nebuchadnezzar, was above normal. And while the Babylonians and their king assumed it was because Daniel and his friends had the favor of the gods with their abilities, the Bible is clear that the God of the Bible was using and enabling Daniel and his friends to powerfully live and speak into their world from what many of us would describe as a secular, from a secular worldly position. God's goal was to make himself known as the one true God in Babylon as well as the one true God in Jerusalem. For Babylon and beyond, for, for the oppressed in Babylon, if we read this passage carefully, in Babylon, to know that there is a God for them too, and then to confront the oppressive King Nebuchadnezzar and his regime. He was using Daniel and his friends for this. Well, the Babylonians believed in a mystical occultic practice known as oniromancy where gods would give you warnings and prophecies and messages through dreams. And so kings like Nebuchadnezzar would have dream interpreters on demand, on call. Well, in our reading today, we, we see the interpretation of the dream from Daniel that King Nebuchadnezzar has. It's another troubling dream, a second one that we've seen so far. 
Last time, the dream was about a multi-elemental statue that gets smashed by a giant rock. This time, King Nebuchadnezzar dreams about a tree that is big and broad, a home for the birds, and is fruitful and full and shady and far-reaching and wide and high. It says, so high it reaches even to the heavens. And in the dream, the big, beautiful tree gets cut down to a stump. And then the dream continues as it shows a man who is in the field acting like a beast of the field, like an animal. Well, the king is worried because that is not a good dream for someone in his position to have. And how does the nursery rhyme go? All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put the meaning of the king's dream together again, right? So, Enter Daniel, the dream whisperer, the dream meister, the dream ninja. And he lets Nebuchadnezzar know that it wasn't the cabbage you ate last night. This dream is from God, my God, the God. And Daniel lets him know that I'm afraid to say, very afraid, because you like to throw people in the fiery furnaces, have them torn limb to limb and have their houses burned down. But your dream will become a living nightmare for you. Again, not because of what you've eaten, but because of what you have wrongly believed about yourself and the one who is truly God. You, a great, successful leader, represented as this beautiful, broad tree of a man and leader, will become a stump and a beast. The worst of what you are on the inside will be turned out because you have forgotten and refused to believe who you are before God and who God is in your life. God is going to let you and your life go into beast mode. Like Nebuchadnezzar, most of the world around us, in us, many of the people who run and lead the companies we work for, and the nation we live in, and communities and relationships we are connected have gone beast mode. Living and then leading others to live less than what God has made and blessed and called us to be. Well, what we see today is that the God of the Bible, the one who has made us, is about turning and transforming beasts, right? Those of us living separated from our God-given dignity. God is calling us to a world, uh, to a world living a nightmarish life apart from God with these truths from our passage to be transformed. How is that? First, the message is this that we bring to our world and we should hear for ourselves, that we are informed by God. In our humanity, we are informed by God. Secondly, our humanity has been deformed by sin. But finally, our humanity, humanity is only transformed by God's grace. Informed, deformed, transformed. Look at verse 20 through 22 again with me. It was read earlier. 
says this, the tree, is he, remember he has this dream about the tree. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached for it to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves are beautiful and its fruit abundant and which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and searches to the heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. When we see, uh, what we see in this dream is the good and true about King Nebuchadnezzar. That in his position as a king, in this case, as a, as a, as a leader, as a human being, God has called him, and I want us to see ourselves in the story a bit here, and us and given us, like him, as verse 22 says, dominion. Dominion means realm here. The realm and dominion of humanity is here on earth. It's a good thing. From the creation story, we know that God made men and women in his image and likeness, which in part means on earth we are made to rule. One way of talking about it is we are called to be vice regents, to be sort of like the prince and princesses of earth, right? There's only one king. To be beautiful and bountiful and purposeful and serving and enjoying in the world, made to take care of the natural resources of each other as we are connected to each other in benevolent relationships, even within hierarchy. Our sense of worth and value and calling and power and greatness and strength and humanity as the Bible teaches as the highest and crown and in this illustration, this dream, as the tree of God's creation, right, that is planted in and on the earth but touches heaven, as the dream illustrated, is what it means to be informed by the Lord himself. We are human, awesome as we are, in ways we are, only because God has said and made it so and divinely touched us, and nothing and no one else does that, right? Like this tree in the dream. We are all called and originally created to be beautiful and powerful and giving and reaching and connected and grounded and, and, and working well for the place God has planted people and doing the things he's decided that they should do. In this case, Nebuchadnezzar as the king. But look at the second half of this verse, in 20, verse second half of verse 25. It says that you should be I'm just going to read the whole thing. Driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like oxen. And you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of life shall pass over you till you know, right, that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Do you see it? God has put you in your place as a human to be in position where and when he wants to flourish for his glory. God's perfect intention and plan was and is that he give us dominion on earth so that we can give him and recognize and represent his dominion over every one of us and everything else. We see that in the tree. 
in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, right? It's described as reaching into heavens in verse 20. Now, some commentaries, right, biblical thinkers, believe this is bad. And you can understand the reasoning, right? The idea of pride, I'm trying to reach heaven. But I think there is a right and good thing about that. As it shows that the tree's life, right, comes from heaven. Like photosynthesis, that the tree must reach up for its life and yet be planted on earth to live out that life in everyday ways. The point is this. Our lives only make sense, are informed, right? And must be informed by the fact that it is God alone who should have dominion over our sense of purpose. God alone should have dominion over our sense of worth and the worth of everyone we deal with and their dignity and no one and nothing else. The Bible teaches that all human beings get and gain their core worth because they've been made the image and likeness of God and nothing lower than that. Not our image, which you see in the mirror, not our accomplishments, not our abilities, as awesome as some of you are, not our lack of abilities, not our successes or our failures or how connected and not so bad we are, not in what we do or do not have, but in who we see ourselves being as we look to the Lord alone. So ask, how is the Lord informing your heart and mind and life above and beyond anything else? Where does your life reach and touch heaven intentionally? This week, today, right? Besides church, where, where is your, like your, your uh, spiritual photosynthesis taking place, right? Do you see and worship the God who made you? How often do you meet with him? How often do your branches actually touch heaven? Do you know you have the, the right and call to do so as a human being? To sit down before God and say, God, reveal yourself to me. God, let me in to worship you. Do you seek him like he's your very life and worth and source behind your humanity? And in turn, do we inform our world of relationships with the same? See, one of the biggest issues with King Nebuchadnezzar to read this passage is that his community and the people he were leading were being oppressed and mistreated because he wasn't looking up for his sense of dignity to heaven. Who are you displaying that to? Everyone in here, especially your doubts, are, are leading and displaying something. I mean, is there a display of, of God being the, the sense of worth and dignity in your life to your kids, to your coworkers, to your bosses, to your society, to your family? You know, there is this code, right? There is this nightmare. There's this dream that the world is having and there's this misinterpretation. And there is a call from us, those of you who call yourselves believers, you are the dream meisters, not because you have some great, you know, mystical ability in and of yourself, but because if you know the Lord, right, you know what his word says about our humanity, which is a mystery. Get this, which is a mystery to most people who live on this earth. They don't know why they're here. They don't know why they're valuable. They don't know why it feels like they have a price tag on them. 
You know, though, if you're a believer or you should know. And if you don't know, it's time to know. That, why, why do you think, you know, the church is all into this social justice stuff now? Now, some of that stuff's going kind of sideways, right? Because we've forgotten that, that, that the reason there's a fight for human rights and social justice is actually a battle to, to kind of move away some of the clouds and some of the oppressive me- ways and oppressive coverings, not so that people can just live uh, horizontally the way they're supposed to live, but so that things can be cleared, things that oppress them, so that they can actually look up and be able to see God so they can know their worth. But look at what Nebuchadnezzar does. Look at verse 29 and 33. He gets warned. (laughs) You the tree. You're going to get cut down. Right? This bad for you. And what does he do? There's something about this. It it says uh, in verse 30, it says, and he answered. Right? I I don't don't know who he's talking to. Does anybody know? Oh. He answered. I'm, I'm thinking maybe God's talking to him. Maybe he's remembered a dream. Shoot, man, it's been a year since that bad dream, right? God, like maybe he was looking up like, that's stupid, right? But listen to what it says here in verse 29. And at the end of 12 months, you know, after a year you think it's over, right? At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace. That would be the highest place. Right? He's just looking out. Now, there's some other characters in the Bible, like King David. Whenever kings start walking out on the roof, about to be trouble. <laughs> right? If y'all, if, if y'all see on top of the White House, our president up there walking around, <laughs> Lord Jesus, get down. Right? Any president, any leader, if y'all see the president of your bank, trouble. Don't go up to the top floor anywhere and start looking around and answering your questions that way. Okay, did I finish reading the scripture? No. Dog, I have my own scripture. That ain't good. And it says, and the king answered, right? And said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still on the king's mouth. I love that. It's like when your mama slapped you in the mouth. Y'all don't know about that. You know how many times I'm a Maori kid too. Always been, even a Maori adult. Like, I don't really think about what happens until the words are already out of my mouth. That's a problem. And sometimes while the words are still on your mouth, pop, 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 pop. <laughs> my dad did it once. Pop, 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 pop. I remember. <laughs> Spring action wrist. Pop, 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 pop. Pop, pop, pop. And my mouth is moving while I'm saying the words. Pop, 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 pop. <laughs> It'll be hard to talk with a fat lip, right? See, God, God did that he, to Nebuchadnezzar. It says, there, there fell a voice from heaven. O king, Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. I love it. Past tense, like a mob movie. Don't cry. 
you were good, right? <laughs> and they start talking in past tense. You're done, right? <laughs> don't cry. Don't cry. Just go with Tony, right? <laughs> and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to, to eat grass like, like an ox. And, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know, right, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of, the heaven, of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Kind of Howard Hughes, right? went crazy. Do you see what he was connecting his worth and image to, though? What was he looking to, to be his sense of glory? What and who was he attributing his beauty and tree-like strength and reach to? Himself. His results. His portfolio. His wealth, his brilliance, his good luck, his good ideas, his good choices, his morality, right? His politics, his management, his engineering, and his diplomacy, and his vision for himself. Do you see why this is all wrong and then goes wrong? Let me tell you, Babylon at the time was the, was the most amazing kingdom. They had the hanging garden, right? They had like one of the seven wonders of the world ever, like in Babylon. He engineered that. His wife didn't like, the, one of his wives didn't like living in Babylon because it was too arid or whatever. And so he built a garden for her, like brought the water supply in, Right? But do you see why this is all wrong? He is living and looking below the human dignity line. Oh, we all thought looking at how great you were, that's the human dignity line. Nah. I don't care how many zeros are in your bank account. When you look at it and you get your sense of worth from it, you are not below the poverty line. You are below the human dignity line. He's looking to what he has dominion over and, and what he manages, manufactures and produces. He is looking down and around, y'all, for his value and refuses to look up. Unlike what King Nebuchadnezzar does, we must find our spiritual home. We must ground the core of our souls. We must nest our humanity in God being God. And yet time and time again, we allow our humanity be, to be informed by stuff. By things, by positions, by intellect, by race, by ethnicity and history and bank accounts and popularity and winning and losing and what we drive and who we got on our arm or, or whether we have someone on our arm or whether we're married or have kids or can bench press this or that or health not nut or skinny or fat or ambitious or slack. And that's nice, all of that. But looking to any of that to inform your humanity instead of lead you to look up so that you live out in those things well, has destroyed us. It has divided us internally and externally as human beings and humorous race. It has made us beasts who look down. If you think about your animal, they're always looking down. Like I have a dog, you know, they're always sniffing. We're down. Right? But if they really want to eat, 
Where they look? Up. Master. Even my little cat, right? My cat will bug me to death. And I go in there, and there's still food, but my cat, I got one of those you know, things that automatically feeds. When that little uh, thing gets low and it's just the food and the thing, my cat, whoop, 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 just, just bothering me. I go in there to wash clothes because that's what a food thing is, and I be in there washing. My cat shows up immediately and steps up on the thing, looks up at me. I'm like, there's food in there. Be happy with what it's got. But animals, they look around. They're sniffing around. They're looking at their world when they're in the wild, right? They, they aren't looking up. They're beasts. It has divided us. It has made us looking around at our worth to anything else except God has made us beasts who look down and around and fail to be informed by the connection we are able to have with the creator God. Now do you get a fuller definition of the word pride? The pride that comes before fall kind of pride, y'all. Pride is connecting and seeking worth and being driven and vindicated and crowned and made beautiful by anything less. I said less and lower and less beautiful and less awesome than what God himself offered and planned for you. That is pride. That is the road to beast mode. Right? Not being informed by God for our lives has left us deformed by sin. Now, last week we talked about why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow to the idol, in large part because God's commandments forbid having other gods and bowing down and worshiping anything except God. Now, we've covered this before. Worship is more accurately the word worth-ip. A big part of worship, Right? is getting our sense of worth from God by, by understanding and praising who he is as human beings. That's why we sing so much. God wants to do and has given us something about himself for our good as we recognize how good he is. Not worshiping God as a thing that gives you worth and, worth and purpose is called sin. A break in that connection and that break between us and our divine and heavenly image bearer has deformed us. Look at verse 23. Um, let's see. I already read all that. So let me see something. No, I didn't read 23. Okay, 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 okay. And because the king saw a watcher, this is Daniel interpreting the dream. A holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree. Remember the tree is Nebuchadnezzar and destroy it. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with the band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field. And let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall, be, uh, you shall be made to eat grass like the ox. 
and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it is commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for, for you from the, time, from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. And there may be perhaps, and there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. And then it says this eventually happens. The stump that's left represents a relationship that no longer reaches heaven. And the bands around the stump means that the king will be stuck in that condition. That it represents the fact that we as human beings in our sin and the tree itself and its natural abilities, right? In our natural abilities, doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how much you've rebuilt your portfolio and your life and all this stuff, it will not be able to grow back in the way God has created to. It is deformed from its originally created purposes because of sin. King Nebuchadnezzar, uninformed by God's glory in his life, becomes what he looks to and looks at. A deformed human being, a beast of a man, where the shape of his life is all about looking down at the ground. The shape and move of his life is only about looking around to survive and to eat and to live, where he is just living life under the sun. Mentioned this a minute ago. It was sad. I was watching maybe, I don't know, one of them Animal Planet things, right? Or reading something about it. Because, you know, someone asked me, are you more on the physical sciences or life sciences kind of guy? I think I'm a life science guy, right? I like biology and animals. I like watching the animal, you know, planet, station. I imagine myself going in the water with the sharks and all that, right? I imagine because I ain't going, right? <laughs> Guys be out in the Amazon. I'm thinking, what bugs are in there? Like, you be in your sleeping bag and, nah, man. But I remember watching this show and they said, your animals are behavioristic. I was like, that's good. Until they told me this, until it said this. It's not love that your animals have for you. It's not sacrificial love. Right? I'm like, yeah, there is. I see the way my cat just looks at me. And she rubs her body on me and, and wraps the tail. My cat loves me. And like the zoologist like, no. That affection is survival. Right? She's probably rubbing her glands on you and marking you because she's smaller than you. Right? And she wants you to remember her. And, and she's trying to make, manipulate you to keep loving and feeding her. Dang. Really? I thought she was coming because I had a hard day. No. <laughs> my dog, my dog follows me. It's a pack animal. You're the leader of the pack. It wants to stay alive. You're going to bring down the biggest piece of meat. It wants to be with you. I like some of y'all because y'all got the best food, right? The best drink. Some of y'all got the money to pay for the food that day. I want to be with y'all. Y'all my friends. No, I mean, we not like that. But I'm just saying that's how pack animals think. 
It isn't thank you. It's please keep me in the pack. Obey. Okay. That ain't, that ain't human. Right? What if someone said, hey, we love each other. So every time a husband or wife says sit, I sit. Right? That ain't love. Y'all going to counseling if that's the way it is. You don't have pet smart dog counseling. My owner taught me to sit and I sat. No, they be teaching it. Okay, we're not getting into that. Here's the sad part. We have become deformed beasts and animals in how we live this life when we are disconnected from giving God dominion and control and power and worship. Do you know what love is? Do you know what sacrifice is? Or are you just behavioristic? Are you just a beast trying to stay alive, trying to survive? Just giving yourself your own reason to live. Is that why you work? Is work only about paying the bills? Really? This sounds like an animal. Who, who drives the, who, who, who lead the sleigh and, you know, and, and all of that kind of stuff in the, in, in the Antarctica, whatever they do, because it, it wants to eat, it has to live, it's instinctual. Are you just living by instinct or being informed by God? You know what it is? We are actually becoming like the things we focus on. Why do we treat each other like objects? Why do we teach other, treat each other like rungs on a ladder to get to the top? Why do we treat each other like food, right? For our own entertainment, for our own sustenance, for our own personal gain. Why? Because we have objectified each other. We're only looking to each other. We're only looking horizontally. We are only living under the sun. And so you become what you look like. Y'all know the thing about the, the, the eyes of the window of the soul, Right? And so the way you look at the world, it affects your soul, right? And, and then the way your soul is, is the way you're going to look out at the world. It's like your windows in your house. In the daytime, windows, you're able to see in, I mean, to see out into the light. And at night, the people outside can look in. And so it's the same thing with your soul. What are you consuming the most? What's your marker? What's your goal? What are you running toward? And why are you running there? If it's only horizontal, you've become a beast and less than human. Why do we treat people like objects? Because we look at objects for, go for, for worth. And so here is what it looks like. We have lost our minds and hearts and souls when it comes to work and relationships and money and politics and history and gender and sex and sexuality and community and leadership and love and technology. We become addicted and reactionary and, and unreasonable because we only go by our instinct and our feelings. Oh man, I feel lonely, so I just hook up. I mean, I think I, I was, oh, this ain't in here, but that's okay. I look at the condos going up. 
in Charlotte. And I'm like, that's really cool. I want to move to one of those. You know how you go, like, we want, we want to live in a cool 1920s bungalow, Kelly. And I did that. We tied it at. We go move to the suburbs. Great. We tied it at now, right? We can't wait for the boys to graduate and move out <laughs> to college <laughs> or the Army. Well, Army ain't no place for a black man trade. No, no, no. It's just, but, like, the, it, go wherever you got to go. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm like, one of those cool condos. Wow. But I look at those condos, and they like, they're like pens for animals. People go, work a bunch of hours, go back to the condo, right? Maybe look at something on the computer, right? Some kind of so media, you know, everybody has high-speed internet, so you can have relationship with whatever and however you want to want work. Then you go down maybe to the local bar. There's always a brewery somewhere. You connect, you hook up, you go back to your apartment. What is that? Condos are holding cells. For us to live like beasts, man. But there's really, you're not really looking up. Now, they can become places to flourish in community. But for most of us, it's just a way to live instinctually. Y'all, like Nebuchadnezzar ended up going from the greatest king of his time to having long hair and nails chained up in a field eating grass. I think I was reading that's how they did the mentally ill back then. You know, they just chain you up so you didn't run away. Leave you out in the field? That is a sign, right, of a deformed soul that is playing out in hyperbole, right, and an extreme result so God can make a point to him and all of us. Oppression and racism and sexism and classism and injustices are beast behaviors. They're not human. And the way we work and the way we describe this world, you know, it's a jungle out there, right? It's a rat race. He's a tiger. They are a beast. Now, beast is a good thing, right? This is a bull market to describe us. Do you know what the bonobo monkeys are? Anybody? Okay, so I watched this Netflix documentary, and that's how I got smart on it. They were talking about how we can move towards what may be a healthier sexuality and sex life if we just consider how the bonobo monkeys do it. Really? Sometimes I watch stuff like this, and then they not only show the bonobo monkeys, they showed like some insects and some amphibians. See how they do sex, right? See how they have relationships? Maybe we should learn something from nature. Maybe we should be animals. And you got people interviewing, that's a very good point. <laughs> What's wrong with us? Not us, but even our world. How, how did we get to the point where we're the human beings, the crown of God's creation, and we're looking to know how to live and how we should exist and how we should treat each other and how we should be having sex and who we should be having sex with and how we should be treating each other and all this kind of stuff by looking at some monkeys, man. <laughs> There's nothing left. Oh, let's look at natural selection. What? Are you crazy? Because those same bonobo monkeys, you know, when there's one that's weak, they go and eat them. <laughs> so maybe we should just eat each other. Because, hey, that's all we got to look at. 
And like the tree with the iron band, we stuck there. Think about it. Beast mode now feels normal. In fact, beast mode is a good thing. Man, he's beast. Ooh, he's a real beast. And I understand what that means. That's all right. But not when it becomes normal, right? We're beast mode before God is now called to being smart or ambitious or opportunistic, right? Or getting yours. Because not only our leaders that we look to, but the whole world is now in the field. We're all in the psych ward, man. Where it is normal and accepted to not be completely human to yourself or to others. And for good reason, there is no human way. There's no human design to transform this way of thinking in and of ourselves. So like Nebuchadnezzar, our minds are gone. Because our souls are cut off and downcast. Like verse 33 says, we're driven away from men, which means we're driven away from our humanity as God has created and informed it. The whole lot of us. Yeah, I was looking at the news, man. Don't, don't, don't watch, don't listen to the news, man. Folk killing the kids and burying and all that stuff. But look at what happens. The king downcast. That means mind and eyes looking around and down like King Nebuchadnezzar did on that roof. So you can do it in both places, right, y'all? You downcast if you out in your corner office saying, look, oh my gosh, I'm the greatest. Look at what I did. I got a vision for my life. I got a destiny. Great. A destiny to be more of a beast, right? You just a higher functioning beast, right? You the beast who gets the bone. Oh, this is my best. Hey, here, you get the bone. Wow. What? Doesn't really change who you are in here. The king downcast on that roof, but now in the field did what? Look at verse 34 with me. At the end of the days, I love that, at the end of the days, because the Bible basically says God going to take you through a series. He going to take, like we talked about with Jonah, God going to take you through a process in your beasthood. It says this, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And then look at verse 37, the progress. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And hear this, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar is transformed. He does not return to successful beast mode. His mind and reason return to him, right? But more than that came back to him. A right belief in the Lord had come. He worshiped. He got his worth and saw his worth in God's worth in spirit and in truth. And Nebuchadnezzar lets us know how God had worked in his life to bring his God-informed humanity into him and into how he lived his life. He transformed Nebuchadnezzar through humility by humbling him 
Remember our definition of pride? Not looking up, but down and around for worth? Humility. God's humbling, y'all, is the power and grace of God given that enables and forces us to look up again and for the first time in our lives for worth and dignity. And sometimes that means being brought low in this world to finally be able to lift your head up for the first time. This church, this place, your lives, are filled with so many stories, I know y'all, of how God let beast mode wreak havoc on your lives. We've lost our moral beauty, morality and beauty and relationship. We've lost love barometers for God and then for others and ourselves that have caused us to crash. But it was in that place, y'all, in that place, out of pride and into humility, where God transformed us. It's Testimony Sunday. And I remember, I guess about eight to ten years ago, I felt like I lost it mentally. In my pride, I remember, I looked within. I looked to my gifts. I looked to my ability to manage a lot of mess that was going on. I can do it. I can handle it. I don't need to let anybody else know. I'm smart. I know the Bible, right? And my mind broke. Right? With all kind of manic depressiveness. Revealed a mental deformity that had been there a long time, but I, but I tried to manage through pride. And I couldn't. I couldn't. I'm only telling you this story because I hope, I hope it's a road for some of you to see where God may have taken some of y'all. I took all, I mean, I had all kinds of stuff going on, all kind of, couldn't sleep, tried to ambient until I was making phone calls and driving places and didn't know, right? Not remembering whole days and stuff, crazy. We got it right. You know, when I take my medicines at night, I got a number. It's hard because I hate myself. Like, look at me. But do we ever think about those times when God brings us low? When we've lost our minds. For me, sometimes it's a time of divine humility and prayers and songs of thanks go up to God. I was a beast. And God transformed and gave me permission 
to be a broken human. God left me with hope in, in my brokenness, reminds me of his need and place in my life. Hear me, y'all. If you're alive to hear this message, God may have shown and possibly made you to be a beast in so many ways and a stump in this life. But God's mercy, hear this, is in the fact that he left a stump. He left a stump with life. And he sees a human in that beast. God in our transformation does not fail to see and recognize our humanity beyond our brokenness. It is easy to believe human humility is all about shame and disgrace and God just showing how bad you are. But humility is actually God confirming his care for you by leaving a stump of a mind and soul that can still engage and connect with the divine love and life of God for you. Transformation through humility is God taking all that has tricked us and deformed us in pride and then rebirthing and rebranding and renewing and redeeming us in all that is true and beautiful and dignifying. You see, God never intended to destroy King Nebuchadnezzar. And leaving a stump of humility, it was always his loving goal to transform him to greater beauty and greater power and greater service, but with worth that comes not from being an amazing king, but in recognizing and worshiping God as the most high and only God, and only God of his humanity and his calling and of his work. But like I said, for everything returned to Nebuchadnezzar and his transformation from beast to worshiping human being, the word came in, y'all. Knowledge and wisdom and insight that was not there before. It came in. Worship and illumination is in how and why things were. came in. God came on and in Nebuchadnezzar, not only through Nebuchadnezzar's humility, but God humbling himself. God himself being humbled. Remember how humility is God putting us in a spiritual and situation position to finally see and worship him rightly? Well, God's humility is God putting himself in a position to reach and transform us. And God did this by humbling himself to become our Lord and King. You see, Jesus became our King. You know how? By becoming like King Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible tells us that Jesus was humiliated. Beyond all recognition. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the king who will be humiliated to redeem and transfer humanity will consider himself and be treated, the Bible says, like a worm and not a man. That Jesus came to be cut down in all his glory and cast out like a lunatic. And instead of being a tree, hung on one. To experience what all deformed by sin people do. And then when he rose from the dead, out of his humiliation, 
A kingdom of people are now made able to enter and then raised out of their humility and be transformed more and more into his purposeful, fulfilled, beautiful, loving, giving, just image. So that we can be free to worship, to get our worth from him, to enjoy God to be free to hear his truth, to, to grow in relationship, free to engage the world, free to be beautiful and bountiful and human like we were created to be. Like Daniel, you believers especially. God transforms you. You know when? When you said, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm broken. I'm screwed up. I got all kinds of problems. I've tried to manage it. I can't do it. I tried to make my marriage work, tried to make myself work, tried to make my mind work, tried to make my body work, tried to make my job work, tried to make my issues work. I couldn't do it. I'm a sinner. And every time I try to do it without you, God, I sin more. I try to fix it by doing this and, and easing it with this and this addiction and this behavior and doing this emotional feeling thing to make me feel better. All sin, God, without looking to you. I'm a sinner. But you know what you said? If you're a believer, Jesus, my king, is a savior of sinners. That is the key, y'all. God's given each one of you a testimony like we saw today to unlock the nightmare in this world. You need to share it. It's scary to share that with all these people in the world. Like Daniel was afraid, right? But you can't, but you, all you have is what God has done for you. And you're not saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, be good like me. No, you're saying, hey, world, God brought me down to see myself as a stump. But by his grace, he left a stump so I can be raised a new life. That is my story. That is my truth. I've been humiliated. I've been humbled, but humbled by the hand of God. It's the only way we're going to leave this nightmare. It's the only way to put an end to us being treated and seeing ourselves as rats and tigers and animals and dogs. God's given you that testimony. He transforms us through Christ Jesus out of beast mode, right? Into becoming the sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for humility. I pray. For those of us here who continue to hold on in pride, when they get afraid of broken Lord, when we walk up on our highest places in our lives and we begin to think we did it, we okay. I pray, Lord, that you would humble us by your grace so that we can be in a place to look up. Lord, uh, we thank you 
that though we look around like the beasts of the field, you look down on us like a loving and merciful God. Help us today. Help us not to just live by instinct or behavior or feeling or drivenness or ambition or opportunity. Humble us to worship you. Give us permission and freedom to be human and for you to be God. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.